Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging at alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we come to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. First of all, to pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to be mightily upon the Garcia family and Maria Garcia's family as well during this time of grief and loss. We pray for Gilbert Jr. We ask, Lord God, for your blessing upon him, the blessing of strength and and wisdom and understanding of all that has taken place. Lord, we pray that Gilbert and Maria would be a a strength to, to him and to the rest of the family at this time. We ask you, Lord God, to reveal yourself, make yourself known to those who may not know you, who come to give their condolences that that they would realize that you indeed are there and that your spirit is there and that your presence is there among them during this time. We ask, Lord God, that you would fill us now with your spirit. Grant us, O God, your wisdom and understanding so that we may continue to grow in, in your grace and knowledge and not only to grow, but, Lord, to continue to do that work that Jesus began to both to do and to teach, which is, Lord God, the continuation of this book of Acts in our lives and in our time. Lord, may we be faithful in hearing your voice today and faithful in responding to it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You all may be seated. By the way, let me just say it is such a good thing for me to see you today. What a joy. What a joy it is to see you. May God bless you today. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you. We ask God's blessing upon you and your family. Well, if there was a word that would best describe the events of the book of Acts, that word would be the word continuity. Continuity. Now, the Oxford American Dictionary defines continuity as, first of all, being continuous. Secondly, the uninterrupted succession of things. 
That is what continuity is. The uninterrupted succession of things. Just that aspect of being continuous. And, and Dr. Luke, the author of this account, desires to make clear to his readers that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the activities undertaken by the apostles of Jesus the Messiah, especially after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, were continuous and uninterrupted as far as what Christ was continuing to do in and through His body, the church. It was a continuous work. There were no breaks. There were no vacations. There was no time off. There is never that kind of time off with God. There is never that kind of time off with the Lord when it comes to His church and with his, when it comes to the mission that He has given to His church. And so as we see the flow of events from the moment that the Spirit comes upon the 120 and, and Peter then responds to the wonder and amazement of those that were present who had observed the miraculous and heard the, heard the disciples of Jesus speaking in languages known only to their own ears but unknown to the disciples themselves. Peter gives the scriptural evidence of these events in a sermon and then to the great response of those convicted by the preaching of Peter and responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the flow continues to the very tremendous birth of the church and the description given of the basic characteristics of the Christian walk, God's Word, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, the four basic characteristics of the church. Well, there is then no interruption in what God was orchestrating. No interruption, interruption I should say, a, con a continuity was taking place and continues to this day. And it doesn't even matter how much time has elapsed between the second and the third chapter of the book of Acts. For it could have been a few days or it could have been a few weeks. But the Spirit of God was moving consistently and continuously upon the church. Take, for example, go back a few verses in chapter 2, there in verses 46 and 47, where it tells us, so continuing daily. Notice the word continuing. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, which tells us that they weren't just in one place all the time, but they were in the temple when they needed to be. They were house to house uh, every other day uh, with each other, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And notice that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So there is that continuity, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work that Jesus Himself began both to do and to teach, as, as we'll see in just a moment in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Now, one thing for sure that the Holy Spirit had given to the apostles and the disciples of Jesus was a discerning sensitivity to the needs of the people they were to minister to on a daily basis. Something that we still need today because people are still hurting today. We need, as believers in Jesus Christ, a discerning sensitivity to the needs of the people around us that we are called to minister to. A discerning sensitivity. We cannot close our eyes, we cannot close our minds, and we cannot close our hearts to the needs of the people around us who are without Jesus Christ today, that we know, that we come into contact with, that we know would be in, 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 in dire straits, dire trouble, if they were to leave this life without Jesus Christ. But the power of God was being manifested continuously through the believers to the extent that, uh, back in chapter 2, verse 43, to the extent that the, the fear came upon every soul. Not, not, not some fear of terror or horror. It was a fear of God. It was a fear of reverence and respect of God. 
And it tells us that many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Things were happening. Things were taking place. The Spirit of God was moving. And folks, the Spirit of God is not taking a vacation today. We need to know that the Spirit of God is with us today so that we might continue to see the acts of Jesus Christ doing His work through the power of the Holy Spirit in His church. All of this brings us back to chapter 3 now and the work being done in the continuing church. So you're going to hear that word continuing a lot, continuity, because that's what's taking place. That is what has not stopped since the day of the apostles. And you'll notice in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And whether you see it or not, there is a tremendous significance in the fact that Peter and John went up together to the temple to pray. It is a significant statement. We could just gloss over it real quickly and just say, well, they went together. They were always together. They were together for three and a half years with Jesus, so they were always together. But no, this is different. Because there is a growing connection with the essential characteristics of Acts chapter 2. God's Word, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. The Spirit of God had come into them in a mighty way, anointed them, filled them. The fire of the Spirit was upon them. It was much different than when they were with, even when they were with Jesus. And Peter and John have now gone from a simple friendship to a solid fellowship, to a solid koinonia. You see, while they were both fishermen, and while they were even partners in the same business with their brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Both were called by Jesus around the same time, being considered a part of the inner circle closest to Jesus. Even though all of that took place, they were were quite different sorts, weren't they? Peter and John weren't really the same. They, they, They didn't think alike. They didn't act the same way. We believe Peter was older. John was young. John was probably the youngest. Peter was impetuous. And impatient at times. For him to be impetuous means that he just acted on impulse many, many times. We know that from uh, some of the accounts that we read about Peter in the, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures. But John was one who thought deeply over the significance of the things that pertain to Jesus when you read his gospel. He thinks about little details, little things. How different Peter and John were. When they were running to the, the, the tomb the day that they, they were told that, the, that, that, that Jesus had, had risen from the dead. John was fast because he was young. And Peter was lumbering behind him. But when John got there, Peter ran over him to get inside. They were just quite different. They were opposite in many ways. But yet, look at the first word of the verse. Now, Peter and John. Yet now they were a team. They were a team in fellowship. They were a team in koinonia. They were sharing more than just the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They were sharing Jesus Christ himself, and they were sharing the power of the Holy Spirit. They were sharing the vision of the mission to go from Jerusalem into Judea and also Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth to tell people about Jesus Christ. And so now they are going together to the temple at the hour of prayer, now significantly different than it was when they were walking together. You know, there were times when they didn't agree 
We know that from, 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 from a, a certain incident that happened when James and John actually brought their mother to talk to Jesus. So Mama could say to them, Oh, Jesus, would you, would, you th- would you remember James and John and have them sit with you in the kingdom on your right hand and on your left? And we're told in, in one of the Gospels there that, that the disciples all were really upset at them. I'm sure Peter was at the, at the forefront of the, uh, you know, the uh, anger that may have been stirring up inside of them. So who are these two guys to be doing that? You know? So they didn't always see eye to eye, but now they did. Now they did. Now they were, they were single in vision. Now they were single in purpose. And, and, and so uh, they, they go up to this uh, temple at, at the hour of prayer, which brings up another word that describes the apostles in general and these two apostles in particular. And it's the word consistency. So there is this continuity, as we've seen, and now there's this consistency in, in the ministry of, of Peter and John as well as all the other apostles. But it's consistency. We see that consistency in the very fact that they were devout Jews who three times a day, 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m., would spend an hour praying at the temple. They would go there. It was something that this is kind of indicating to us that they went there at that hour because they knew what the hour of prayer was. They went there. They, they, it, it, so it indicates to us that they probably did this on the regular basis. They were consistent in that. Although now they're going there praying in a totally different way than, when, when, uh, than before they came to know Christ. But this day, this day that they go to the hour of prayer, the, the ninth hour, which is 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the first hour, of course, is the 6, 6 a.m., and the third hour is 9 a.m., sixth hour is 12 uh, noon, and then, and then the third hour, or the, uh, I should say the ninth hour is 3 p.m. This day, this particular day, that devotion would be interrupted by a lame man. And we look at verse 2, and it says, And a certain man, lame, and, 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 and consider the details here, a certain man, lame, from his mother's womb. That's a tremendous statement. In other words, he was born lame. He was born in, in, in such a way uh, that, that when, 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 when they saw him, whether through midwife or just the, the mother giving birth, when they saw his legs, they knew something was wrong with him. They could immediately tell. And, and, and so they, uh, this, this certain man, laying from his mother's womb, was carried, carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, when, when, he, when he does that to them, it's kind of an interesting thing. So we can't, we can't just gloss over this again. We just can't go quickly over it as if, and miss something very important here. I want you to consider a couple of things at this point. First of all, consider that the apostles would go daily into the temple, probably passing by this man. In all of their time that they've been spending in, the, in, 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 in Jerusalem and, and there by the temple, every day they would go. So the suggestion is given us that, that they're going by this gate called Beautiful every day, and this man is there every day. But nothing has been said to him, and more than likely nothing is said from him to them. Why? Because they're simple fishermen. He would look at them and say, eh, no money, next. All right, that's the idea here. 
Every day they would go. So consider that for just a moment. And then I want you to consider a second thing. Consider that it is quite possible that Jesus himself passed by this man at least several times. Especially the times, or especially during the days prior to the crucifixion. In, in that whole week before he goes to the cross, Jesus went in and out of that temple every day. And had to have passed through that gate called beautiful every day. And that man being there every day. And Jesus didn't heal him. Jesus didn't talk to him. Maybe he never talked to Jesus. We don't know. We certainly could count the times that Jesus did heal people in the gospel accounts. I mean, you could take every opportunity that we see. Now, there were some times when Jesus healed a lot of people, and we, can, we can't count that. But we can count the, you know, the, the events and, and those particular situations where Jesus did heal people. We could come up with a number, you see of times that Jesus healed people in the gospel, and yet we never think about how many people Jesus didn't heal. We never think about how many people Jesus just passed by and never touched. You think of the man at, at the pool of Bethesda who, who, who Jesus healed that one day with hundreds of people around that could have needed the healing as well. This is an important thing. We, we, don't, we never ask why that. Why? Because too many Christians are confused about divine healing today. And I'll have to say no thanks to the many charlatans on TV hawking their wares. A lot of charlatans out there. You know, and, and they're using all kinds of you know, hype and divisive, ta- uh, I should say, uh, 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 deceptive tactics to, to make people think, oh, look at all these healings that are going on. You need to be careful about all of that that you watch. It confuses people about divine healing today. I just, want to, I just want to tell you this. Please remember this. Let's remember this together. God still heals today. God still heals today, but listen, God still heals sovereignly. Sovereignly. Healing wasn't only for the times of the apostles. There are some people who believe that. Oh, once the apostles died, there was no more divine healing. Come on. Wake up. Open your eyes. What happens with faith? What are we supposed to do? Are we not to trust God? How many of us have been healed in this place today? Not in this place, but I'm just you who are in this place. How many of you have known the touch of, and healing of God? God is still working. He's still healing. It is still for today and for any day that the Lord God Himself resolves and establishes and determines that it will bring glory to Him. That's how God heals. He heals sovereignly. This was the case with the blind man in John chapter 9, and it was the case with the sickness of Lazarus in John chapter 11. And if you look at John chapter 9 for just a moment, in verses 1 through 5, we're told now as Jesus passed by. There's another indication. He passed by. He was always passing by. And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And we know that the light of the glory of Christ shone into the eyes of this man. And he was healed. How interesting though, in in another couple of chapters, in John chapter 11, When Jesus is told of the sickness of Lazarus, 
In verse 3, we'll just, we'll just pick up there in John chapter 11, verse 3. It says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, that's Mary and Martha, sending to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. And they say, The one you love is sick, Jesus. And when Jesus heard that, he said, Listen to what he said. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And folks, we know what happened. We think, well, what does Jesus mean when he says this sickness is not unto death because Jesus lets Lazarus die? But for what purpose? For him to come and show that he was indeed the resurrection and the life. And he spoke Lazarus out of the tomb. You see, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And so God still heals sovereignly and He does so so that He establishes, He resolves, He establishes and determines that it will bring glory to Him. That's how God heals. And we need to understand that. Let's go on. So now this man was placed. This lame man was placed at the same place every day for the purpose of begging for alms. And since we are told in the next chapter that he was over 40 years old, he had probably become a professional at what he did. He was a professional beggar. He knew how to beg. He knew how to see the people that he could actually draw some pity from. Able to spot the right people to ask for mercy. He had done it for so long. Been carried for so long. He was placed at the gate of the temple which was called Beautiful. We're told by the Jewish historian Josephus that this gate was made of, of fine Corinthian brass, 75 feet high with huge double doors, and so beautiful that it, that it greatly excelled those that were only covered with silver and gold. That's a funny statement because this was made out of brass. But evidently the way it shined, the way that it looked, it, it, it even exceeded in, in beauty the, the gates that had the platings of silver and gold. But there's something here that we don't want to miss in this picture either. The man lame from birth. Think about it. Lame from birth. A man who had to be carried everywhere. A man who had never seen a day in his life when he had not been a burden to somebody. A man that could not walk and could not work. A man who could only beg and hope that his plight would provoke pity. This man was typical. He was typical of mankind's heart condition without Jesus Christ. A man crippled, and really a world and a mankind crippled by sin at birth. Who is not born into sin? Because of what happened in the, in the garden, in the fall of man. Who is not born with, without sin? He becomes typical then of the heart condition of man. That is what cripples man coming into this world. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, verse, verses 9 and 10, actually it's God saying it through the prophet, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The heart. Paul said it best in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Crippled with sin from birth. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And where is this lame man? Where is he placed? He's placed at the gate called beautiful. And we think, what a contrast. This lame beggar man in the shadow of a gate called beautiful. Yet there is only one beautiful gate in all of Scripture. It doesn't matter how beautiful the gates are that man makes, that Herod had constructed for that particular temple. There's no more beautiful gate than Jesus Christ Himself. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 1. And following, He says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door or gate but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But, but he who enters by the door is the, sheep, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper, literally the gatekeeper, opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. I'm the gate. I'm the gate called beautiful. When you read in the Scriptures the statements that say that we are to, to look unto God in the beauty of His holiness, look unto the Lord Himself in the beauty of His holiness, we are to look unto Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the beauty of the holiness of God. And so are you getting the picture here? What does this man do in the shadow of the gate called Beautiful? He sees Peter and John going into the temple and he asks them for alms. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm just kind of going to give you a little bit of a, an opinion, an idea of what I'm thinking here. That in all the days that these men had, had walked by, by this layman daily going into the, into the temple before this, before this particular day, that he probably never asked them. And so this is somewhat humorous as it is odd. Because the apostles were common fishermen by trade and wouldn't be wearing anything that would give indication of wealth or even that, that they had any spare change. And I would say that every day they go by, you know, except for this day. 
And, and I have to tell you, don't be listening to these people that are... T- I, I, there's some guys on TV telling you, oh, listen, man, when, when Jesus was here and the apostles, they were rich, they had houses, they had mansions and all kinds of stuff. And, 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 and this particular incident, you know what this one guy said one time? He says, oh, yeah, Peter and John, when Peter and John come up to this layman and they say, silver and gold have I none, the only reason they said that is because he left his, he left his purse at the house. It's ridiculous. People are feeding you, feeding people these days on TV. What we have to understand is, and we need to ask this question, was the Holy Spirit at work here? Was the Holy Spirit at work seeking to lead this man to Jesus? Haven't we already not learned from the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of people to convict of sin, judgment, and righteousness? Is it not the Holy Spirit that comes alongside of us to open our eyes that we might begin to see the truth and see Jesus, see the condition of our heart so that we can say, Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner? Was the Spirit opening this man's eyes after all these years now to God's power? God is at work here. Don't we believe that God is working in people that we may come into contact with that need to know Christ? Are we praying for them? Are we saying, God, come alongside of them, convict them of their sin, open their eyes so they can cry out for mercy because they need you, Lord. And he could have been there sitting there day by day by day and these people were walking by until this one day that he asked them for alms. And conversely, was there something that Peter and John radiated and displayed on their countenances that attracted the laymen to them? What did he see differently that day that he hadn't seen before? Was there something that they saw that he saw in them? What were Peter and John doing? What were they doing? They were just simply continuing steadfastly and devotedly in what Jesus began both to do and teach. That's what we were told in Acts chapter 1 verse 1. That's what Luke says to Theophilus when he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And what he says is, and that just continues. And it's continuing now through whom? Through Peter and John. And it brings us back to our earlier points. Continuity and consistency. The continuity of what God is doing through the Holy Spirit in the work of Jesus Christ and the consistency that is taking place in the lives of the apostles being consistent in doing those things that honor Christ. And it brings us now to a third word that describes these apostles. It was confidence. Confidence in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Confidence. Notice in verses 4-8. through And fixing his eyes on him. This is Peter fixing his eyes on this man and fixing his eyes on him with John. Now John looking at Peter, seeing him fix his eyes on the man, now fixes his eyes on the man. That's kind of what we're seeing here. Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. Look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Confidence. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Everything that had been out of place 
everything that had been twisted, straightened out. And I would have to say, to perfection. Because he, it says in the next verse, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Peter, the beginning of this section here, Peter fixes his eyes on this beggar, as well as did John. Now, for the most part, we'd have to speculate as to what caught their attention in the man. Why are they now staring at him? Because that's what it means, that they stared intently at this man. He fixed his eyes on him, and he stared intently. And if it was Peter, that would probably scare some people. He stared at you. Not in a mean way, not in an ugly way, but just in, you know, burning deep into the heart of this man. A poor, lame beggar. It caught their attention. A cameo, a type of the human race. Lame from birth. No standing before God. Carried everywhere. Stumbling and falling through life. Having nothing. And so he begs. And think about this. Think about this. The very best person in the world. The very best person in the world outside of the love and mercy of Christ is still a hopeless, spiritual cripple born in that condition. The very best person in the world outside of the love and the mercy of Christ is still a hopeless, spiritual, lame person born in that condition. The wealthiest person in all the world without the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ is still a spiritual beggar. You understand now? Do we as believers in Jesus Christ see the world in its worst condition? Do we as believers in Jesus Christ see the world in its worst condition? Do we remember that this is where we once were too before we came to know Christ? When our eyes were open, we realized everything we thought we had that was of any value was nothing without Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was everything. This is why Jesus, in in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, begins by saying, Blessed, blessed, blessed is he who what? Blessed is the poor. Blessed is the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we come to the realization of what we are in the presence of a holy God and a mighty God, then we are indeed on the road blessedness it isn't until we recognize that we have nothing that we will then be granted 
everything in Jesus Christ. Two things amaze me here. First of all, that the lame man expected to receive something from Peter and John. For this is how the world is. The world is always looking. And you know, you can put yourself in that same position. We were coming to more understanding of what the, the gospel was saying because people were sharing the love of Christ with us. But we were always looking for an easier way out. We were always looking for something that was more tangible. Are we always looking for something tangible anyway? We want something we can hold on to, something that, that, that's, that's solid, something that's you know, reliable, something that's easy to hold, you know, to grasp. And that's the way this man was. Oh, Peter and John, is, they've taken an interest in me. They, got, they must have something for me. Something I can hold on to. That's the way it is in the world. We're still holding on to the things in the world because we want the things that we think are going to be what gives us satisfaction. And so that, that amazes me here, that he expects something from Peter and John. And the, and the second thing that amazes me is the authority in which Peter grabbed his attention. He says, look at us. Look at us. There this man lay in the shadow of a gorgeous gate of a now ineffective religion that boasted of its law but could do nothing for this lame man. It found him a beggar and it left him a beggar. As a matter of fact, that beggar couldn't even go into the temple to worship God. That's why he was outside of the temple. He couldn't go in. It found him a beggar, it left him a beggar. But Peter now is redirecting the man's thoughts from his rags and his religion to his Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. And he says, look at us. So he gave him his attention, verse 5, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter makes it all clear to him and he says, silver and gold I do not have. If he stops there, what does the man say? Oh, you don't? Well, move on because there's others that do. Please get out of the way. So, excuse me, sir. Please have mercy. You don't have nothing? Eh. You understand? He doesn't stop there, though. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now that's bold, isn't it? To know that this man is laying there from birth. Not, not that he laid there from birth. It was just dropped there. But, you know, he was lame from birth. <laughs> Make my English clear here so you can understand. But he's, he's, he's there, you know, and he's been, he's been lame from birth, and he's, now he's laying there. And, and, but to know that he's been lame from birth, you know. And, but yet to say, in the name of Jesus, in the authority, in the power of Jesus Christ, you rise up and you walk. Because Peter had something far more valuable to pass on to this lame man than even a small and insignificant fraction of the riches of this world. Why? Because he had Jesus Christ. And folks, let me tell you this. Peter was not the only one that had Jesus. John had Jesus. The other apostles had Jesus. The other disciples and the other 120 had Jesus. And if you know Jesus Christ today, you have Jesus. You have that same gift. You have it. The idea here is not that Peter is something special over and above any of us. As a matter of fact, if you read 1 Peter chapter 5, you realize that he doesn't place himself above any man. 
The very Jesus that Peter had preached about to the multitudes in the temple was now given to one single person in a most significant way. And that is telling us about the glory of the way the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached. It can be preached to thousands and it can be preached to one, but it is still the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is still the truth of the mercy and grace and peace of God that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Peter put his own faith into action now by taking hold of the man's right hand and lifting him up. Here's, here's faith in action. Here's that confidence that we talk about that comes to the Holy Spirit. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up and it says immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength and, and you have to remember that Luke was a physician and his testimony could be trusted because he was speaking using medical terms to say those ankle, the, the feet, as a matter of fact, it's specifically speaking of the heel. The heel and the ankle bones straightened out, received strength. And, and, and what had been congenitally and permanently dislocated heels and ankles were now perfectly healed and ready for proper use. And think of this. He was now standing. He was now walking. He was now even jumping. Things that he had never learned to do. Because he had been in that condition since birth. And, and, and it is significant that it tells us that he stood. He stood the world is dead without Jesus Christ, but until Christ comes into us through the power of His Holy Spirit and we receive Him as Lord and Savior, then we stand and we're called to stand. We're called to stand as believers in Jesus Christ. We're called to stand as those who, who are standing against the evils and the wicked of this world with the armor of God upon us. We are called to stand and therefore because we are His people, we are to stand and He's standing now. And he didn't have to learn it. God raised him from the dead, as it, uh, as it were. God raised him from that dead condition. God raised him from that position of, 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 of uh, complete dependency upon others to de complete dependency upon Jesus Christ. And so leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. What a picture this guy must have been. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They were so amazed that even the jumping didn't enter into the picture. He's walking and he's praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them, to him. I mean, most people, and this is really for us today, folks. Listen carefully. Most people get stuck on the healing itself. Please listen to me. Most people get stuck on the healing itself. There are those who are from a very conservative bent who try real hard to prove that miracles and wonders and signs all ceased after the apostles passed away. On the other extreme, though, there is that hyper-Pentecostal charismatic who will attempt to duplicate miracles, signs, and wonders most of the time by fleshly means, seeking to duplicate those things. It's a sad thing, and I remember over the 35 years of knowing Jesus, 36 years, it's getting longer and longer here, but of, of times seeing people try to do things like that. Take a hold of a person, get them out of a wheelchair, pull, come on, get up. And then, so that the, uh, you know, so that the, the effect of what just took place doesn't go upon the person who did the pulling 
they say, oh, brother, you must not have any faith. You must not be trusting in the Lord. But I can tell you this. God didn't tell him to, to pull on that man or woman, drop him on the ground. I didn't do that. And we can't have the easy out of saying, oh, you don't have any faith, or maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe you're in sin or something. See, people get stuck on healing. The most crucial and important part of this healing, folks, is found in verse 8. He entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. That's the most important thought here. That's the most important part of this healing, that he went into the temple, that he went into the temple at all, that he went in praising God. It wasn't only that he could walk, it was that he could now walk with God. You see, it was that he now could walk with God. And he praised God. He didn't praise Peter. He didn't get down and start kissing Peter's hand. Oh, Peter, thank you for pulling me out. Up from, and thank you, Peter, why don't you, you know what you need to do? You need to start a ministry. Start a healing ministry. Peter, go get a sign. Put it over this door right here that says, healing's available, you know. There was one particular ministry that was so focused on healings one time that they had a slogan, we deliver. I'm sorry, you know, we can't make light of these things. What about, this, what, what about the eternal, the eternal aspect of a person's soul, no matter what condition the body's in? Yes, God can heal if he wants But when Jesus took those stripes, as we see in Isaiah 53, it was by his stripes that we're healed eternally, spiritually. He went from an outcast in society, this lay man went from an outcast in society to an outpouring worshiper of God. Because what was lost in the garden at the fall of man is restored and regained every time a person comes to Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. What was lost in the garden can be restored and regained. Fellowship with God. The worship of God. Why? Because we were all created to be worshipers of God. But we fell away and so we were born into this world in sin. We weren't born worshipers in that sense. Even though we were created to worship, You know what we worship before anything else? We worship ourselves. One of the first things our kids ever say is, mine, 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 me, me, me. What does that say? What does that tell you? And you didn't even teach them that. And let us not overlook the most significant part of this healing. The confidence of Peter and John to stand on the authority of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to bring healing and salvation to this man. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That is what they said. And that was the authority upon which they had that confidence to do what they did. 
And then consider what they saw. They saw a man who had been born lame, completely healed, and yet not praising Peter, as I said before, but praising God. They knew what his life had been like before, but now he was showing off for all the world to see, and not only at the gate called Beautiful, but having entered where he hadn't been allowed to go. How do you withhold praise after such a tremendous healing? How do you withhold praise? How can you not, all of a sudden, when, when you've been given the opportunity, stand and walk and leap and praise God for what God has done? How can you not do it? Folks, we have to be very careful when we lead a person to Christ that we don't just tell them, listen, if you just say this prayer, you're saved. And the person says, okay. So they, you pray, that you lead somebody in a prayer, and all of a sudden you say, okay, now you're saved. And they say, oh, okay. Well, thanks a lot. I'm thinking, what a minute, wait a minute. We haven't led them right. We haven't told them, listen, there's a holy God that is offended by our sins. And we have come to the realization now that we are separated from this holy God. And if we were to die without Christ, we are going to be eternally separated from God. But Jesus Christ has come and He shed His blood so that we might be forgiven of sins. He died on the cross, took upon Himself our sins. You see, I mean, the whole gospel we have to give them. So that they realize they are sinners committing cosmic treason against God. But God has sent His Son with mercy for us. Does that not change the picture so that when we receive Christ, we say, Oh God, thank you. Thank you. We weep in joy because now, once we were lost, now we're found. Once we were blind, now we see. We don't just say, Oh, thanks a lot. Thank, you know, now I'm a Christian. Okay, what do I do now? That's not conversion this guy was walking leaping praising God we're not done with him yet chapter 4 we're still we've still got some stuff to do the same Jesus of Nazareth that Peter had preached not many days earlier was the beautiful gate through which the lame man had been healed physically and spiritually through whom he walked to enter in to a life of worship. Some people want to start at the healing. I encourage you, let us start at the healer. We get so caught up with the healing. No, get caught up with the healer, Jesus Christ. We focus too often on the gift and not on the giver. Focus on Jesus Christ. Let Him be our central focus. Let us reveal Him. As, as, as Peter and John said, look at us. Can we say to somebody, look at us, so that they might see the image of Christ in us? Let us reveal Him and let Him use us continually, consistently, confidently, and courageously as we let others see His image in us. Paul said in Romans 8.29, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And Paul says also in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Will you be able to say to somebody, Look at us. Look at me. But don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He can cause you to rise up and to walk in newness of life. Please remember that. Please remember what it was that Jesus did for you when you take this bread and this cup this morning. Let's pray.